Welcome to At The Movies. Sit back, crack a beer, and enjoy. Mr. Mushnick, f- forgive me for saying so, sir, but has it ever occurred to you that maybe what the firm needs is to move in a new direction? Uh, what Seymour's trying to say is... Seymour, why don't you run downstairs and bring up that strange and interesting new plan you've been working on? Welcome to At The Broovies. This is our 10th episode. My name is Rob. I work in the film industry. My name is Ben. I don't work in the film industry. I'm a civil engineer, but I really like movies and I like talking about them. My name is Tom. People call me Bowser. I do not work in the film industry. I'm a lawyer and I am the fact checker. My name is Andrew. I do not work in the film industry. I work in radio, but uh, that has nothing to do with this. I uh, So typically, I ruin the movie for myself and just read the Wikipedia and then form a judgment based on that. But this week, I did see the movie. Oh, oh you, such a, such, wait it's a such a good movie. I know, it's such a good movie. You had I've already seen it. seen it. I had already seen it like a billion times. Yeah. Right. All right. It's a, you know, it's a Ben's family favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it would be actually. Uh, That's yeah, not surprising. I thought so. I was um, watching it with my roommates last night, and they actually asked because they know you don't watch it, and they were like, "Do you even think Bents would like this movie?" I was like, "I'm pretty sure Bents has already seen this movie a thousand. I've times. seen it a billion times." <laughs> <laughs> so this week we're doing a little shop of horrors, and so we're going to talk about the movie, and we're going to drink a beer. Before we get into that, at the end of last episode about Arrival, we asked to send in your favorite movie aliens. And we got a couple in. So I'm going to do what I normally do. I'll just read it off and see what you guys think. So from a Steve, uh, we got the Mars Attacks Aliens. Oh, okay. Which the I always... Goofy. The bubblehead brain. Yeah. What I think effectual, as effectual. goofy as they were. They yeah, really they're definitely pretty cinematically unique, I think. Pretty sure I've never mm-hmm. seen that movie. Oh. Yeah, you probably wouldn't like it. Yeah, I don't know. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I haven't seen it in a very long time. You know, so long what, enough. That's what us, Steve, said. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we also got one from Chelsea, who says her favorite alien is Salicious B. Crumb. What is that? Salicious B. Crumb? Yeah. That sounds like a misspoken sentence or something. It's, it's the little rat guy from Return of the Jedi. Oh, whoa. I didn't know he had a name. Yeah. Why did they say his name? Is it just in the no, credits or they something? No, they don't ever say his name. It's like 90% <laughs> of Star Wars characters. They never say their name, but they have an entire backstory. Oh, there's right, just an entire right. fake Wikipedia whole, of them. They've got a whole trilogy of books about their, <laughs> their yeah. like uncle or something like that. Yeah, there's a whole side story with Salicious B. Crumb. Sorry, well, for that to be a favorite alien either means you haven't seen any other alien movies or... They've never seen Conan. You're wrong about things. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was sort of an inspired choice, I guess. No one else is going to pick it. It's not this inspired. Is it's like, I'm going to pick this one to be a pain in the ass. Well, it could be inspired, just inspired by the wrong things. Like one fair. chapter of a Star Wars book. <laughs> All right, well, what, uh, what are you guys' favorite movie aliens? Coneheads. Conan. Oh, yeah. Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, and whatever their kid is. Well, yeah, and that was a sketch on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, but then it was a movie. So, so a lot of people have been a conehead, right? Oh, that's true. I'm referring mm-hmm. to the movie Coneheads, which mm-hmm. is a a very good movie. <laughs> Not about very uh, good, but it's a movie. It exists. <laughs> yeah, I mean, going with the Star Wars thing, I do like the Ewoks. I think that's a really silly, um, fun alien type of character. I wonder how they evolved the way they did. 
without uh, seemingly complex language. But someone you know, maybe that's just me not knowing there. Someone their someone dropped a, a teddy bear in a puddle of ooze. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> how all great things evolve. <laughs> yeah, it's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but a teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> Bowser, what about you? Did you ever see the, Did the we say alien theory? classic? We did talk about it, but we didn't mention it right now. With the favorite, uh, so. with the the speak and spell machine, the speak and spell machine yeah. with the glowy finger. That's another one you got to wonder mm. how those evolved because he wasn't very mobile. So somehow they, they built these ships. <laughs> so when I was a kid, this must have been right after Jurassic Park came out on VHS. My parents rented Jurassic Park and ET on tape the same weekend, and we watched both of them. And I loved Jurassic Park, like I absolutely loved it. I was probably four or five. And I hated E.T. and it scared the shit out of me. And <laughs> I have terrifying. I have not watched that movie since. You don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> what was the scariest part when he's looking opinion? for the M and M's? Uh, the Reese's Pieces. Reese's uh, Pieces. Uh, I think it was the guys in the suits, his finger, mm. and specifically the the like the saw blade when he puts. Oh, his, you know, yeah, that's that's pretty scary. But you weren't scared by Jurassic Park. No. Where a guy gets eaten while he's sitting on a toilet. Yeah. I mean, that's wow. just, that's great comedy. Dinosaurs are like <laughs> ravaging people. Yeah. Newman is there <laughs> being all Newman-y. Yeah, none of that scared me. The scene when they're in the kitchen with the velociraptors. All right, we're talking about aliens? I still feel <laughs> like Wait, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> all right. So my my favorite movie, Alien, clearly is not E.T., but I uh, I think I have to go with the Xenomorph from Alien. Thinking with Ian Holm, it's like the perfect organism. Can it respirate <laughs> in space in a vacuum? Yeah. Yeah, all right. So. It's perfect. That That's the only uh, <laughs> checkbox that I, I had missing. That's the only qualifier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we spent the whole episode talking about them. So you perfect out bias. there listening, go ahead and scroll up a couple episodes and, and find that nice two-hour jaunt into uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a definitely... classic alien film called alien yeah so on this episode we're going to talk about little shop of horrors um little shop of horrors actually talk about favorite aliens kind of a good segue into that but i think before we get started we should introduce the beer the beer this week bolero snort breweries aurora bull realis it's a double ipa hopped with galaxy strata and citra hops oh of note galaxy it is hops yeah, Galaxy Hops. It is hoofcrafted in the Meadowlands. Hoofcrafted. Hoofcrafted. So speaking like, of ooze, like they crush up the the <laughs> hops with the oh, horse. This this brewery is apparently bull themed. Oh, with bull, duh. Aurora <laughs> so, bull realis. Yeah, everything hoofcrafted in Carlstadt. <laughs> Ooh. Well, that was a great pouring sound. Was that Andrew? Yeah. Got these fancy wine glasses that Bowser bought me. Oh. This is a good amount of flavor. Oh, this is good. Yeah. It's very good. So does anyone know why I picked it? I've got a guess. I mean, it's obvious, but please. Well, it's not obvious because okay. it would be obvious if it was a movie about bulls or the Aurora Borealis <laughs> or snorting boleros at a brewery. But yep. where I think you went with this is there is a celestial event that occurs just like the aurora borealis is a celestial event i mean i was just thinking outer space but yeah 
Oh, I'm sorry. I was slightly you more went specific, too far. but meant went the same thing that you just said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really like it. It's good. I usually don't like double IPAs, but I like this one. What are galaxy hops? Yes. I think they're all just different, different strains of hops. Okay. Galaxy hops are from Australia. They're a variety of hops that mm. have certain citrus, peach, and passion fruit aroma. So there you have it. And Australian what hops by way of the mean? I think they're just having a laugh. <laughs> they're just having a laugh? Oh, because of having the bull thing. Yeah, they're like a bull-themed New Jersey. I, I'm sure there's a story. I've never been there. Are bulls native to New Jersey? No. And by bulls, I mean cows, because, you know, it's no, ca- like the bulls, bulls are, but cows are not. Yeah. <laughs> they had to cross there's, the Delaware. There's a lot of bullshit in New Jersey. <laughs> So yeah, so like I Strata said, hops were actually oh, oh. is actually a recent development of the hop. Uh, Ooh, recent, huh? How recent? Fresh. 2009, they developed Strata hops from a breeding Whoa. hop breeding in Oregon State. Is it hard to get hops to make open pollinated pearl hop? It's like no, the pain of po- like... <laughs> <laughs> You have to set them up on a nice little date. <laughs> Pump them full of aphrodisiacs. Just let those hops go at it. Anyway, I don't know how to segue away from that. Yeah, don't even, don't. Don't even try. All right. So this was a good movie. I yeah. liked it. Let's hippity hop off that subject. <laughs> well, it's a very hop-heavy beer, so I figured, you know, we talk about hops. Talk and about the hops, yeah. And we I found it hops. interesting. Yeah. Just a quick, if you don't know, Little Shop of Horrors, here's some basic information. Came out in 1986. Stars Rick Moranis, Ellen Green, Vincent Cardania, Steve Martin. Directed by Frank Oz, who's super fun, uh, whether he's acting or directing. I fell down Speaking in of deep aliens, he's Yoda. Yeah, yeah he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, he's Yoda. He's ha- like half the Muppets. Miss Piggy, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, plus a bunch of Sesame Street characters. Uh, it was written by Howard Ashman. It's based on the musical Little Shop of Horrors, which Little is based Shop on... Little Shop of Horrors. Which is based on the uh, Roger Corman B movie from the sixties. So, so it's a it movie did. based on a musical based on a movie. Got it. It's a little fun B movie. Kind of. Kind of a ridiculous. Uh... Do you know why they call them B movies? Why uh, do they call it a B movie? Because it's sort of like a B side of a record. Oh. They would do double features, mm-hmm. and the B movie was the second one. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, like so everyone already left. Or you could stay for the B movie. And and the movie and, is a movie. The nineteen sixty version. <laughs> yes. I mean, ben. you have to take into consideration <laughs> that that movie was made was made in two days for thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. What? Only cost him twenty two twenty two thousand five hundred dollars. That's Roger Corman for you. That's <laughs> for a little bit of scale. What was this movie? This made, movie's budget made, or budget rather uh, was twenty five million. Super in high. Nineteen eighty five, which today is about sixty million dollars. It was the most expensive film Warner Brothers had produced to date. Yeah, That's it, very interesting. Because yeah. it has a total B-movie feel, obviously, because it's trying to reference the original. Absolutely. But, but when while huge... you're watching it, you could tell, like... Oh, they tried. This took a lot oh, yeah. of work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that whole set yeah. is, is... It's fantastic. Is creative. Yeah, it's, like, it's incredible. They built it in uh, at Pinewood in the back lot in the UK. Let's talk about this later. Yes, so we start off seeing the setting that we just were talking about, this beautiful setting... And an opening sequence with the, I'm going to call them the muses. I don't know what else we should call them. The, the Greek, Greek chorus. chorus. The Greek chorus. chorus. 
sort of setting the scene, we then build into a song about Skid Row, which is the place we're at. And we meet our main characters, Seymour, Audrey, and Mushnick. Yeah. Mushnick owns the florist shop, and Audrey and Seymour work there. Seymour's a bit of a nerd, and Audrey is... They, they've I mean, he's, got a thing he's, going on. He's from just Rick Moranis. He's Rick Moranis. It's beautiful <laughs> casting. We'll talk yeah. about that later, too. So, Rick Moranis' character, Seymour, has discovered this new plant, and uh, he discusses how he got it during a solar eclipse, and we'll get to more details later on that. And they're kind of amazed by it, but it's getting sick, and he doesn't understand what's going on, and he learns that it feeds on blood. Human blood. So he pricks his finger, and he feeds it, and it starts to grow. It gets healthy. Yes exactly that noise uh then we get a beautiful scene uh with john candy where he takes the plant to a radio show please lady don't put your clothes back on it's wake well you can't do this to me what if your husband were to walk in i'm right here wake i'm sorry i love your show but i've got to kill you both with this machine gun oh you got me oh oh, oh, oh. i feel i feel so very <laughs> so the plants the plants growing he's still feeding it uh we get a, a song uh someplace that's green by audrey where she sort of dreams of this idyllic life with her and seymour american dream kind of stuff white picket fence and whatnot then um the store blows up because everyone wants to see this plant and uh because the plant is huge and it's very unique and uh, all this time, Audrey it keeps talking about this boyfriend she has, who's clearly very abusive and terrible. And then we finally meet him, played by the impeccable Steve Martin, very cartoony character. Most of this movie's pretty cartoony, but he's just the worst. He's just a terrible, terrible person. Great. And uh, Seymour, of course, doesn't like this because he is in love with Audrey, um, not to mention he's aware of shitty people. And so uh, they come to the final conclusion that, of course, in order to feed the insatiable plant, which has now grown quite large, why not kill the dentist and feed him? So after some time, they do that. They kill the dentist and feed him to the plant. Then we get uh, a little bit more build in the love story between Audrey and Seymour. And the plant is, of course, growing this entire time and now needs to feed even more. So eventually, uh, Mushnik must be the next supper time meal. And uh, they continue to get famous. People try to sign a great cameo with um, Jim Belushi, mm -hmm. where he comes in sort of towards the end, trying to get him to sell the plant and, in fact, recreate the plant so they can sell smaller versions of the plant. And of course, Seymour doesn't want this. He doesn't want to see this plant exposed throughout the, the planet because he knows how dangerous it is. Anyway, the story ends. We'll talk about it later because there's some multiple ending situations. But uh, the original ending or the ending that happened in, um, in the movie theaters is uh, quite happy. Seymour and Audrey live happily ever after. But there's a nice little moment right before the credits roll where we see a small version of the plant because the large plant has been killed. The large plant, by the way, is called Audrey 2. And uh, we see a small <laughs> version of Audrey 2 growing outside their idyllic white picket fence. That's all I'm about to say about the yeah. end because I feel like that'll mm. be conversation for later. Well, was, yeah, it was a great wrap up. There's a couple little fun facts I want to just cover here because I don't think they're going to come up later. I found these kind of interesting. 
So this is the only only film where Steve Martin and Bill Murray share screen time. And that's a hell of a screen time to share. Yeah. It's a great scene. But uh, it's that sort is of, very surprising. Yeah. Being SNL cast members, I don't know if they were at the exact same time, but same type of comedy during the same time period. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so the the dentist tools that are used on Bill Murray's character in that scene. Yeah, I didn't. So in between the killing of the dentist, or once we're introduced to the dentist and the killing of the dentist, we get a scene with Bill Murray feeding into the sadistic dentist, a masochist mm. patient who wants to feel all the pain that a dentist can offer and then some. And Steve Martin as the dentist has these like cartoonishly scary looking tools that he uses to scare all his patients and, and cause harm. After this movie, they they got stored away in Warner Brothers somewhere and they got used again in 1989's Batman in the scene where they're like reconstructing the Joker's face after his accident, which is great because that's Jack Nicholson and Jack Nicholson played the original masochistic patient in the first movie. Someone get me some red string. I got to put this up on the wall. Uh, yeah, two pictures on the wall with one string. <laughs> two pictures of Jack Nicholson from different times. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, it's that kind it of was funny. the exact. It was the same tools, the same props, the same props. Yeah, but yeah. I guess uh, I think we could jump into our initial reactions. Yeah, fire away. So last time I'd seen this movie was a long time ago. I don't remember when. I think I have a memory of watching it in school, but watching it now, I don't know how we could have possibly watched it in school. Um, well, what about film school? No, it was, it was like before college. <laughs> Definitely before oh. college when I watched it. Um, like a third third grade, like a substitute <laughs> teacher came in and was like, I don't give a shit what you kids do. Here's the I movie. I feel like it was like middle Here's school. movie about blood. In like music <laughs> class or something. Okay. Anyway, it was, it was really funny and definitely stuff I missed on my first watch uh, when I was younger. And it's really fun. And it's just like so well executed as a whole between the choreography and the sets and everything and the puppetry. It was just like amazing to see how all of that came together so well. Couldn't agree more. Definitely the puppetry is stands out. Beautiful casting all around. And the set design was just really cool. It's a fun musical that I plan on watching again. Andrew? Oh, I, I, I this time I I get to join next. This is great. Um, <laughs> what were your first I, impressions? I, I love of this movie. The Wikipedia page. <laughs> oh, so first impressions of the Wikipedia page are fantastic. It is a great <laughs> Wikipedia page. It has a million things to cross-reference. It has great. <laughs> I think musical people are crazy, which is the reason for it. Because mm, it's are. got every everything in it. Like you can re- cross-reference every scene to whatever you want to like i ended up on all kinds of other wikipedia pages just reading this one while watching the movie i love this movie it is such a good film yeah the music is so good Mm -hmm. rick moranis is rick moranis exactly what you would expect but then audrey uh um ellen green is so perfect the way she moves and like like the 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 breathy (laughs) like It's so good. I think it's some kind of fly trap, but I haven't been able to identify it in any of my books. I gave it my own name, though. I call it an Audrey 2. After me. I hope you don't mind. And then, like, just the two of them interacting and her just existing with, like, the ridiculous <laughs> hair and the ridiculous makeup. And, yeah. like, it, it's so good. 
Um, this is quite the unique reaction from Andrew. It's a great, it's I a think great that's movie. worth addressing after 10 episodes. Yeah, it's um, a great movie. I don't know of any other movie where you've had such a positive. I've reaction. also been watching it since I was like five. So <laughs> I'm, I'm always shocked that it's not a John Waters movie. Yeah, it's all like just the the look of some of the characters and like oh yeah the mannerisms and like the way it's yeah it, and the, the way it, it flows it's like this should be a John Waters movie. and like the stage lighting and all that stuff yeah and yeah. the way it's on a set and like yeah there's dance numbers it's just it's it's fantastic yeah. mm-hmm. Bowser well just to uh, go off Andrew what he was saying Ellen Green who plays uh, Audrey she was also in the original off Broadway production in 1982 That's right. yeah. She's the only person from that original production to be in this movie. And yeah, they uh, they actually wanted production. Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper, yeah. Hall. So that would have been different. And Madonna. I so think. I guess we all. Bette Midler. Yeah, Madonna. I think she was really good for the part. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I generally liked it. Like the songs. I thought it was really funny. The, I would say the puppet was probably my favorite part of the movie. The practical effects in the puppet were fantastic. The least favorite part is probably the. Uh, the dentist. I didn't care for Steve Martin. I don't find him that funny, but maybe that's just me. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. He's an over. I, I didn't like him in that role. Yeah, I've got. I mean, I, 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 and then there's like weird southern accent. I don't know. It just rubbed me. That was like not consistent. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know you. Sure, I saw you on the news. I even know your name. Now let's see. It's uh, Cecil. No, no, no. It's uh, Cedric. No. Give me a chance. It's uh, <coughs> Simon. It's Cinderella. Somebody talking to you? Oh no! It was not that one rubbed me a little. That bothered that me. one rubbed yeah. me the wrong way a little bit watching. Hey, you're trying to well. like do an Elvis accent for part of it. It's I fantastic. Felt, and then, yeah, it's camp. Well, yeah. It's, it's it's that it's, was on purpose. It's, it's yeah. pure camp. Am but I not allowed to have uh, that opinion? No. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Are we going to go back to this when you, nobody can have a different opinion from you? Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think uh, we, we could talk about Steve Martin a little bit because I've got some, I have some thoughts about his acting in it that we can go into a little bit. Mm. I um, think it was just his different colored hair that was so Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah very cute. upsetting. Like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Your hair's not that color. Get out of here. Um, but yeah, I mean, the movie also had like so many great cameos. On our outline that we that we write up to do these, I, I added a, a section in our about the movie box for the notable cameos because they were so good. So obviously we had Bill Murray, Christopher Guest, which was he oh, was hilarious. Yeah. yeah, he's the first one to come in when the yeah. when they put the plant in the window in in hopes to attract more customers. Just because you put a strange and interesting plant in the window, people don't suddenly. Excuse me. I couldn't help noticing that strange and interesting plant. What is it? It comes in with this beautiful delivery. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I love Christopher Guest. And then Jim Belushi, as you brought up earlier, and John Candy also. Rest oh, my peace. God. Yeah. I was in stitches watching that John Candy scene, <laughs> so which I only remembered slightly, um, having not seen it for over 10 years. I was high school, so 15, 15 years. Yeah. Oh, he's so weird is perfect it's <laughs> great so good and actually I, I forgot to mention like i said a long time since i've seen the movie but all the songs whenever they come out, i was like oh yeah i know this song right like all of them yeah yeah there's it's so good do you want to do a, be- a beer check because everyone's beer oh yeah i'd say i'm about maybe about 40 percent. so 
that shows me that this is an incredibly drinkable beer. Mm-hmm. Um, while flavorful and those citrus flavors, as we mentioned before, are quite apparent. But uh, so very flavorful, but not too flavorful. So quite drinkable and refreshing on a, a quite warm day when I have it. To do, turn my it doesn't fan make off. you thirsty, which is nice. Yeah, it's it's not too hoppy. I mean, it's definitely hop heavy, but it's not like overly hoppy for a double IPA. So I'm drinking it out of the can. For those drinking out of a glass, is it pretty hazy? Yeah, I'm also drinking out of a can. You cannot see through it at all. Wow, it's opaque. Yeah, that's orange juice. Yeah, guava juice. It's guava juice. (laughs) Guava juice. For you listening out there. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm surprised I liked it so much. Great one-off pick. I don't think I've even had a Bolero Snort beer before. I have never heard of the brewery. Yeah, I've never even heard of them, which is surprising. Most things with snort in the name, I remember. Yeah, it's not good. Because it's a very odd word. They're usually on the shelf next to like Departed Souls. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. that makes sense. Maybe I just haven't noticed. Um, all right, so I, uh, we're ready to jump into the talking about the technical stuff, which I think a lot of us sort of mentioned in our initial reactions because, like I said, it was, it was just all super well executed. The set design is awesome. So they built the entire skid row on the back lot of Pinewood in the UK on the 007 set. Little shop of horrors. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's a, that's a big, that's a big set. And they, it's I think, huge. Yeah. I think they built two or three versions of the interior of the flower shop. Three. Three. So they can mm-hmm. shoot. Uh, different size Audrey 2s at the same time. The choreography is also great. I put down choreography, but I, what I really mean is like not just the dance itself, but the way everything, which I guess is just really the direction, but like the way the numbers sort of fit into the sets themselves. This is a super campy movie, obviously, but I feel like those numbers really feel like a part of the world of the set, which is really grimy. There's a lot of musicals I feel like that, like, all right, we're in like regular movie storytelling mode and now we're in song mode. Those, you know, turns into like a stage instead of just like fitting into the world. This maintained the same throughout. I know. Yeah. Through the scenes, the speaking scenes, as well as the songs. But this song is or this movie is mostly songs. It is a lot of songs for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I thought, obviously, the puppetry was incredible. That's that's what happens when you get Frank Oz in charge, I guess. Um, RG2 is great, but I loved like the, all the little details. The lips move separately. The I love the like the little guys, the little faces. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was incredible. Yeah. And maybe the Wikipedia page or our fact checker can speak more to it because I didn't look into it. I know it was something like 50 some odd puppeteers at one time. Yeah. working on this plus it's a electronics yeah and incre- talk about choreography like that is a type mm-hmm. of choreography that is well beyond my understanding to be able to yeah to do they that. weren't able to get the mouth right at normal speed yeah so anytime the plant is singing or talking it's filmed at one third or one half speed they did a couple at 16 frames per second and a couple at 12 frames per second. yeah so whenever he's talking so the actors are moving slower yeah, if they're yeah. in the same scene and talking slower. Yeah, like so moving like, their mouths. Wow. Yeah, so they had to yeah. like lip sync to the music in slow what? motion. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Because there's some parts when you can tell 
you know, okay, they're just focusing on the plant and then they're focusing on the people. And you're back of your head, you're like, okay, well, they had to do that to make this look right. But I'm, I'm yeah. forgetting that there are multiple times when they're both in the same frame. Yeah. Um, and I did not know that about the, the time. So it's almost like an in-between between stop motion animation and just regular puppetry, yeah. I guess. That's really cool. I don't know of another um, another movie or TV show or film or anything that used that technique. I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, I think there are a couple, but I think I think it only is necessary if you have something super complex like the Autry Two. Mm -hmm. Frank Oz, his filmography, like Yoda, for example, they could just do that normally. One, it was super heavy back and forth dialogue in those scenes for sure, but also, you know, Yoda's pretty simple compared to the plant. They didn't have the detail of the lips. Yeah. Which blew me away the entire time. I was like, is this a puppet? <laughs> yeah, the but then were... they've done some sort of like forced perspective, like a hand puppet that they've done forced right. perspective on. So it looks big because it's the most detailed puppet mouth movement I think I've ever yeah. seen. But no. So it required 60 human operators during the last scene when wow. I had the... With the little uh, guys? Yeah. Six different puppets of varying sizes for the film the main puppets for the various stages in its growth right jim henson's son was a puppeteer involved in the movie and most of the puppeteers were from jim henson's company makes sense there was one really funny part where audrey too is making a phone call oh yeah yeah and oh, he yeah. like is putting the money in and then <laughs> And then he's like tapping on the side of the oh yeah because like the florist glass. Oh, I was like, they just didn't they didn't stop at anything to, so to add those little details in. And then he reaches in the coin slot for the change at the end. Yeah, for the change. yeah, and then he reaches <laughs> in the coin slot. <laughs> the change at the end, which is like, oh, I can relate to this plant. This is exactly how we make a phone call on a payphone. <laughs> I also love how like he twirls the gun around when he, yeah. when he steals the revolver. <laughs> So good. So mm -hmm. The scene during the song, um, I forget what it's called, but when he's when Seymour is singing to it, trying to get it to grow, and that's where he figures out that it wants blood. There's a part where it actually like grows on camera. The flower pot. Oh yeah, when it's trying to bust out of the Maxwell coffee. Yeah. Can. So the the flower or the can is stationary, and then they use forced perspective on the actual plant prop or the puppet, oh. uh, and put it on a little track. And then moved that forward towards the camera behind the can, so it looks like it's getting bigger, but it's just the same puppet. And then with the can, it's obviously not a real can, and they're just like yeah, that's just through some sort of that's animatronic foil. Yeah, yeah. But the actual growth part was a forced perspective, which is pretty cool. Um, uh, did we mention the year of this movie? The you mean the year that it, that takes? Place? Oh, is the plot year or the? The release no no the year that it was made to kind oh, yeah. of give some context to all of the um the special yeah. effects that were used. 86 1986 yeah like i said in my initial reactions it's just amazing to see all this stuff sort of come together so well um mm -hmm. so actually one of the things i was thinking when i was watching it is like we were talking about the lips the way the lips move with detail well, that's something that they would do if they did this again with cg you know, they, they would be able to Andy circus all over. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But they would definitely go in and, you know, animate that little, you know, those little subtleties. But I don't think it would have the same effect. We're all too hyper aware of what's CGI and what's not. It wouldn't have the same relationship between the characters. So right. much more 
real because it is interacting with with the actors yeah and there, uh, there's that and, and i think actors. there's there's another layer of it just sort of adds to the camp we know it's a puppet obviously because what else would mm -hmm. it be and like the teeth definitely look like styrofoam you know <laughs> it would take away from the world of the movie if it was cg mm -hmm. i mean the whole set of the movie is fake Exactly. Like it it yeah. looks fake. It looks like you're on Sesame Street. Right. Like the subway. Skid Row, Sesame Street. <laughs> I think yeah, my favorite the subway part. at the opening. <laughs> so it's clearly like just one piece yeah. of cardboard. <laughs> one piece of cardboard going by. The wheels aren't moving. Like yeah. the shadows are all wrong, probably. Like everybody's bought um, in that nothing's real. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which also exactly. came across, and knowing now being reassured that the musical came first, it had very much a musical feel for most yeah. of it. Some other some other components of the movie are, would be difficult to uh, do yeah. on stage, but yeah. for the most part, you feel like you're watching a filming of a, a staged musical, which I think is good to maintain yeah. that that feel throughout. With the delivery of the lines between the actors, too, I think it was mostly apparent in um it, in the flower shop between Seymour, Audrey, and Mushnik, in particular, the way they delivered lines felt very stagey. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah, like like it's almost like they should be turning to the audience and yeah, yeah, and and like a laugh track in the background yeah, somewhere. Right. Yeah, again, I think it just all sort of adds to the world of the of the movie. Uh, ben, I'm I'm curious as someone who's done theater and musical theater, what do you think of the songs? Uh, the songs are classics, as Bowser mentioned earlier. They're super catchy. While a lot of people might say they set they just sound like musical theater songs. I find them to be enough unique from the rest mm -hmm. of musical theater. The original ending to the story is another part that makes it a little different than most musicals. Yep. And other than that, I think it's it's great. It's fantastic. It's funny. It's serious when it wants to be kind of serious to make the funny parts even funnier. The Greek chorus is a fantastic you might call it a trope, but it's a pretty well established um, yeah. and they, mechanism. They, that's um, yeah, and I think they use it really well here. Like, they use it beautifully. I mean, yeah. uh, the one scene where Audrey finishes her song, where she's imagining a, a future with Seymour, some some place that's green, mm -hmm. and then kind of pans out um, into the streets, and you see all the homeless people, which is yeah. another. It's just hilarious because <laughs> of the contrast of what she's singing yeah. about. Um, but also a testament to the the intricacy and the detail-oriented uh, creation of the set. But then the camera actually just sort of pans slightly to the left and then goes all the way up a building to the roof of a building where the Greek chorus is, is singing right right into it. And they also start the show. And so when it comes to musicals, there's a couple things that like you have to do, no matter what the story is, mm -hmm. in order to to make yourself a nice well-rounded musical and one of those is you got to start off with a little bit of a bang you got to bring everyone on board let them know you're at a musical yeah don't take yourself too seriously we're going to be singing songs and stuff here's where we are bring you into the that. yeah about. so the way they brought that in right at the start is i, I don't know it, it could be a 30 to 50 percent of what makes a musical a good music regarded as a good musical at least in my own opinion but um and this movie did that beautifully. They're out there singing in the rain, and then they jump into Skid Row, too, right after that, which mm -hmm. is a hilarious, hilarious song. Yeah. Um, and probably so the biggest good. numbered, or with the most amount of people. Yeah, yeah, it is. So what do I think about the songs? They're great. They're 
unique but catchy and funny. Yeah. Like really, really funny. Yeah. I generally don't really like musicals that much. What I liked about the songs, they don't really have like those weird parts that don't sound like actual songs. Like this is specifically a musical song. There's like a weird key change or whatever. Oh, mother, time changes. to take out the laundry or something. Yeah. But yeah. these were just, these felt just <laughs> like straight songs. There might be some dialogue like peppered in, yeah. but they felt like self-contained. That's a song. Um, right. I think there's one, maybe it's in Rent. It's like nine minutes long. The middle of it is just like, what are we doing? What's going on? I think on? that's maybe La Vie Boheme. Yeah, yeah. That's the one I'm thinking of, La Vie Boheme. Yeah. And they're kind of like half singing, half talking, and it's it goes for like three minutes. I don't know. That just is so weird to me. I don't... It, I. But like with this movie, all the songs are self-contained. This is a song. And there might be like some dialogue peppered in there a little bit. But overall, I think they just stay as their own thing. Uh, but still yes. communicate a lot of story at the same time. Yeah, slightly to that point, which is why a lot of musical theater people will, when they do reviews or they want to sing one song from a musical, this is a very popular one uh, from which to pick. Suddenly, Seymour, I don't know if that's the most famous song, but it's definitely a common one for people to want to sing. Yeah, that um, makes sense. As a, as a standalone. Suddenly, Seymour. Suddenly, Seymour. So to your point, you can really create each of these songs as their own little mini story, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which also is why I think and why I like it, 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 that it's on the verge of cartoony. Everything that happens in this is so characters are so overblown. It's it's definitely my style of comedy <laughs> storytelling. Like we were talking about with Steve Martin's character, I think because he is so sadistic. In any other movie, he would be like a terrifying, dark character. I think the only way to make it work is to make him so insanely ridiculous and to like have him kind of like really poorly ape Elvis mm -hmm. is the only way that's going to sell that kind of like <laughs> an awful like person. Like not only is he like a sadistic, terrible, sadistic terrible. dentist, which by the way is a hilarious concept. <laughs> it's super brilliant. Yeah. He is an abusive partner. Yeah, like really like, bad. Like really yeah. bad. Like really bad. <laughs> you were talking about, or it, it came up about if they were to remake this movie, they would have to change the characters quite yeah. substantially, I think, specifically that dentist character. Otherwise, yeah. people wouldn't watch this movie. People would boycott this movie. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the only way to make that really work is to make it so ridiculous. And, so and still make it funny and still make it funny. Yes. Yeah. Bowser, Andrew, do you guys have uh, points about technical things you want to talk about? My favorite moment in the whole movie is when they're, um, he's telling the story of how he found the plant. And it was mm -hmm. at Chang's and the song is like, yeah. da doo, doo, da doo. Listen, the I think so, but they're going through it and they're, they're singing and they're singing it. And instead of it just being da doo, da da doo, it goes. <laughs> by this place where this old Chinese man he sometimes sells me weird and exotic cuttings 
because he knows James Badu. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous. They just slipped it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Badu. Yeah, yeah. I like that. That that is a fun. Uh, that whole scene, that retelling. Oh yeah, the solar eclipse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Was that in the original? Is that the how um, the 1960 movie portrays mm. the uh... the 1960 movie says that he bought the plant from a Japanese man who found it next to a cranberry farm. And it's sort of a weird 1960s joke about cranberry farms because apparently there was a big scandal with them using some pesticide on cranberries that caused health defects in people. <laughs> so the pesticide uh, mutated. <laughs> okay. Oh my so it's like a political commentary. <laughs> I'm so glad they removed that. And they're like, nope, it's not even a Japanese guy anymore. It's Chinese. Just solar eclipse <laughs> got zapped by something. Let's keep this thing moving. <laughs> yeah, cranberry really farm. Yeah, I guess we could talk about thematics if we want. Unless people want to check in on their beers again. I'm about one sip. Are you finished? I'm getting towards the end. I am half a sip away. Yeah, I like it. This is um, this is definitely going to be something I seek out. Yeah, I want to try more of their stuff for, for a sure. double IPA. Yeah, I know they existed. I'm going to have to start looking for them again. I'll tell you one thing I think about this beer right now is I wish I had another. Uh, <laughs> which is, it is a, it's a not something I would say after most double IPAs. Um, and this is a nice tall, this is a tall boy-ish. This isn't a tall boy. Yeah, it's tall a pint bigger. can, right? It's a pint can. Yeah. I could easily drink another one of these um, just for the taste. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. They're very good, and it's good across all temperature ranges mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, like that's... you have an IPA that's not good cold, or it's only good like a little warm. But this has been good the whole time. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, and it's not like yeah, super like overly hoppy. It's right. just like a nice blend, and it's uh, it goes right down. Yeah, it's very pleasant. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think there's too much like special to comment on it's very happy it's not very happy but it's happy obviously the double ipa and it's about 8.1 percent alcohol mm. so you definitely feel it but yeah you could you could keep on drinking these after a couple probably be pretty drunk i think three of these <laughs> and i'd probably want to go to bed yeah i definitely wouldn't yeah. spend a night at a bar I have to go to bed <laughs> yeah i have to go to bed but it's definitely like something i would drink a few of hanging out outside in a backyard for sure yeah and good enough where I am going to look for this brewery. Yeah, that, me too. That's not something I say very often. This is big news, everybody. It's usually it's Shinerbach. So this is this is very big news. <laughs> Bench likes the movie. I really like the beer. It's a times it's is a, changing. It's a watershed episode. <laughs> it's number ten. <laughs> number ten. <laughs> yeah, I'd go. I go see what other beers the. Uh, Bolero Snort Brewery has to offer. <laughs> Say it like yeah. you're reading it. <laughs> and honestly, I am reading it. I'm reading it if I went, if I went there, I would tell them you guys got to re- rethink this word snort. Yeah, because it's the to, one word. If you said Bolero Brewery, that's nice flow. Right. It's yeah, but there's got to be a Bolero Brewery already. Oh, maybe, but, yeah, but why? Why snort? I, I don't know about that. Like, snort know, is I one don't... of those words that's just like. Ugh. Snort. Yeah. Like I know does not bulls, sound good. Bulls do snort. I know snorts. that. But that's not the defining feature of a bull. 
Well, we can What's go the defining the, uh, feature of a bull? Swamps it's of the Meadowland, where this brewery's located. Inform them of our opinion. <laughs> they are yes. in the Meadowlands. Let's go wander into the swamp. Oh, what, what a fucking pain. If you bump into the owner while you're there, make sure to ask him where the name Bolero Snort came from. He loves telling Uh-oh. that story. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I don't want to hear about your happy cows and your beer. <laughs> you know what? I actually like to think that the person who made that website knows that the owner hates talking about the name. And he's just fucking with him. <laughs> uh, or or maybe the owner made the website. Yeah, this is more of a bright side situation. That's very self <laughs> Well, uh, I you make a fine beer, so... Oh, well, it wasn't that hard to find out. Blair of Snort is an anagram <laughs> for the owner's name, Robert Olson. Um, that's even worse. Uh, that is... That's, that's <laughs> not even a funny story. Okay. That's a dumb story. It's not a funny story. Okay, forget it. We're not going to the brewery. <laughs> that's it. We're not going. Well, is their beer cheap? We went from <laughs> just unanimous agreement <laughs> that this is one of the best beers we've had on here to... We need to burn this place to the ground. We are people of principles, and everything should happen for a reason, and the reasons have to be good. <laughs> well, okay, moving on. Yeah, let's just let's move past that one. Good beer, though. Yeah. We were talking about the dentist thing. The, the sadistic dentist is in the 1960 movie. He doesn't have the same role, but he is a definitely a sadistic dentist in that movie as well. And it's a bit of a trope, too, from even before that, when yeah. people... But I, I really just love how like a lot of pain in dentists. Yes. How overt Other dentists movies have always have a sadistic dentist stigma. So actually, yeah. funny story. Growing up, my dentist was on pain road. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> my orthodontist name was Doctor Hearst. <laughs> Hearst was it spelled the same way as the? Yeah. As the... Wow. No, but it was said the same way. Oh, okay. That's pretty. Funny. In fact, there's a. There's I a got, I got nothing there. Fields film from 1932 <laughs> called The Dentist, and it's about a sadistic dentist, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. I think that's a pretty, um, that that Ooh. trope, that idea is out there of like dentists being people people don't want to interact with or. Sure. It's a painful process to go there. Yeah. And I guess I just loved that, like, it was so overt. He took so much joy in causing pain. And the funny part when, like, Bill Murray just, like, he wants all of that pain and he's like what's what's wrong with you this isn't fun <laughs> ah! 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 Oh yeah oh yes yes yeah get out there what's wrong get out of here what's the matter it's not enough. I love what he's he's fixing himself up. Like, yeah, he's you know, like he's putting this a thousand times. Yeah. He's like get, putting the blood gauze in his or the gauze in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so, so good. So talking about thematics, uh, talking about Plants. thematics is, is always kind of fun with musicals because like clematis. <laughs> no. Um, there's a whole side that's just pure entertainment. Little shop of horrors. Doop, da, doop. But there's always like another part that's why they tell the story that they're telling, right? So the first thing I wrote down for this was glam versus grime. Cause like one of the first things you see are the the Greek chorus in their Ronettes outfit. They have a name. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna find it. It's a good name. Their, they're their very name glam. is uh Crystal Ronette and Chiffon. Uh, 
Yeah, which are, are they're all three. Run it. They're all named after R and B groups. R and B groups, yes. Yeah, but yeah, one of the first things you see is them in like their sparkly dresses, walking over hobos. And they don't get wet from the rain. They it's raining out. Yes, they don't get wet. Yeah, that was actually it's one of the very things. noticeable. So yeah, Frank Oz wanted them to have like a spotlight on them, but they couldn't do that without shining spotlights on the bums and the other characters in the scene. It right. was just not impossible for them to do. So they decided to do the effect where it's raining, but they're not getting wet from the rain. Yeah, it, there's like, like because big, they're not like, in the movie, sort of. Yeah, some sort of right. big ring umbrella thing above them, way up by the rain towers. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the actors did ultimately get wet during shooting, but you can't tell on camera. No, I it, five seconds in, I was like, their hair does not look like it's <laughs> getting it's wet. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Their clothes. Do not look like they're getting wet. Yeah. But for me, that sort of like immediately sets the idea of your fantastical idealized life versus the life that you're in. And then also that eventually, I think, evolves into what I put down as choosing to endure pain for a dream or for something you want. And that could be like something as simple as, you know, bottled up in the Bill Murray character. His joy is pain. But then at the same time, you expand that a little bit and you have, you know, Seymour is for most of the movie before he um, feeds Steve Martin to the plant is bleeding into this plant to feed it because he wants to use the plant to impress Audrey to have that relationship and also be successful at the same time. Um, And Audrey has this relationship with the abusive dentist because the dentist is a successful profession. Like she says, she, he's a professional. He's um, a professional. Some date. A date gives you a cassage on a multiple fracture. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. But she endures that because she, she thinks that will lead to her idealized life, even though she would prefer to be with Seymour. Seymour's is a, you know, a clerk at a, at a plant shop, but so she, he's not going to give her the life that she wants. So she endures this with this guy. Layers hiding layers, right? You've got the layer of Skid Row hiding the layer of these people that want something, um, you know, go somewhere green, right? Or or something a little bit more than what they're living in. Well, damn, Rob, you just dug real fucking deep real quick. And, and we can uh, end right there now, right? Pretty much hit, I think, any point that any of us could have ever thought of. And yeah, I, I didn't even could, honestly I didn't look that deeply into this movie. Yeah, I I I definitely <laughs> felt this the the theme of letting something build and and so when I learned about the multiple endings, that's where mm-hmm. any idea of some sort of underarching theme came up for me. Mm-hmm. And maybe now is a good time to to discuss those yeah. alternate endings. I mean we can go into detail if we want, but essentially yeah, one's ben, a, a you, very you, happy ending. Yeah, describe them. Uh, uh, so when the ending came out, when when the new ending came out, it it was released twice. One was uh, more edited than the other. So, oh, but ultimately, the, the, the how same, I saw it was the plot. end of the movie. Yeah, you know, they the same plot as the off Broadway show. Yeah, they kill There's Audrey. One of the same plot too. as the off Broadway show. Yeah, and 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 Audrey, Audrey one, if you will. And Seymour live happily ever after, but with a little plant growing. So it's like a little cute, like, oh, is it over? But then what I saw is the original ending is everyone dies. Audrey, too, 
takes over. Essentially, they the Jim Belushi character or someone like him mass produces these plants and they multiply. They're all over the planet and they just take over. There's this long scene. I don't know how. Yeah, long. it's I, very it's long. like a yeah, and 10, like 15 minute video of these giant plants that they just massacring a and city. That had to be so um, much money to to shoot. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. see, I also saw one that was only slightly different, and maybe it was just the the full thing where Audrey herself gets. Yeah, Audrey gets yeah. In the original. Where, yeah, that's in the that's okay. in the that's, that's in okay. The, so uh, that is in the original where he he carries her in and literally feeds Audrey to Audrey too. Yeah, she wants to die so he could become famous. Which the, the or, sorry, theme she wants to of die so she can always be with him. Right, of mm -hmm. some place that's green, that she's now going into a plant that's green. That would have been something I was like, ah, oh, that's cute. Um, <laughs> cute. <laughs> but also, like, um, almost a careful what you wish for type of uh, theme. But, again, I didn't, I didn't think about any um, underwritten themes quite that much in this one. But that would have been one that kind of came up. I just thought it was a fun romp. That's yeah. Well, this well is executed. this is. I mean, there's a lot of death. I think it's fair to say that this is a dark comedy. Oh yeah. And traditionally, in those type of stories, there's not like a happy ending. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody gets their comeuppance. The person that does the bad stuff, Seymour, because he kills people, right, ends up mm -hmm. getting his comeuppance. So that's I think how it was originally intended, and that's like sort of based in what usually happens in these type of. Though, I think it makes more sense. I, I agree. Technically, when I when I watched that and I was like, oh, this was the original ending. Why the fuck did they not do this? This is fantastic. way better. It's so much better. Frank Oz thought that people wouldn't like it. So he, they. Oh, yeah. It was all it. based on a test audience, at least yeah. from the, the um, one YouTube video I watched. <laughs> yeah. Technically, Seymour didn't kill anybody in the mm. theatrical version of the movie because Steve Martin kills himself with the gas. Yeah, with that crazy gas mask. He doesn't save him. Soup. He doesn't save him and he chops him up, but he doesn't kill him. And then yeah, the plant just eats Mushnik. That's right. Yeah, Seymour's liable. Seymour is a coward, so he doesn't kill anybody. Yes. That's correct. I would, yes, he brings I a will gun intending to kill the dentist. Yeah. And he doesn't, but he doesn't save him. He doesn't save Mushnik. I mean, he's basically... He kind of creates a situation where he's able to He creates a situation where Mushnik is... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but as a lawyer, Bowser, would Seymour be at fault if a dentist put on nitrous oxide <laughs> before performing surgery and then says, oh, it broke. Help me. Help me. And the patient doesn't help the doctor. No, he wouldn't be liable at that point. But would he be liable as soon as he touches the body? Because once you move oh, something, he does, he's like, preventing its discovery. And yeah. so like if somebody could have came and discovered him and saved him. He does but like yeah, he chops he, him up into pieces. I'm pretty sure so. chopping up a body, whether it's brutal. alive yeah. or dead, chopping is, a body is, is very illegal. illegal. <laughs> <laughs> also, why did Seymour have a, a giant axe in the city? Slash not yet dead body, possibly. <laughs> uh, that's a good question, Chop Andrew. up plants. No. Chop up trees. Was he chopping down trees in the flower shop? It was yeah. in case of a fire. Oh, oh okay. Do they maybe have like a There's wood? no way those buildings were built to code. <laughs> Do they have a, like a wood wood stove or wood furnace in that old building maybe <laughs> oh yeah possibly <laughs> this movie is supposed to take place in the 60s right yeah they make yeah. a reference to president kennedy oh the opening crawl we didn't talk about is really funny 
Oh, the Star Wars. In the early, in the early, yeah, the the Star Wars movie. Yeah, it's like the in an early year of a decade or two before our own or something, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Super vague. Yeah, nothing specific that they mention about New York City, but it does. They have the Empire State Building in the background, so they've got the Empire State Building. There's subway, subway, or elevated subway cars. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know. There wasn't much I took away as far as a theme, just like. This is a silly, a silly thing we did, and we made it <laughs> silly at every turn. I think if you go with the original ending and the off-Broadway play, how it ends with Seymour getting eaten by the plant, the plant taking over. I think the moral is like he he, he got what he's sort of bending to his own fantasy a little too much, exactly, and it yeah, sort of right bites him, so to speak. It bites him. It's like the whole you get what you wish for or whatever. Yeah, like the plant grows yeah. and ends up eating him right man. that that i i could see with the original ending with the actual ending it's just like oh yeah i fucking definitely murder people or let them be <laughs> let them die and then feed them to this insanely needy plant was frank Oz the one that decided to change the ending or yes was it, like it, was it? it was his decision it was his decision oh really it wasn't like test audience you know we need a happy I mean, ending because it was influenced by tense audiences but it was ultimately his decision to do that. He didn't want to do that. He preferred the original ending, mm-hmm. but he thought it would do better with audiences if he changed. Mm. I was reading something or maybe in the blooper reel that I sent that said that uh, in order for a, a movie to be released by Warner Brothers, it had to have a 55% positive rating from an audience. Oh. The oh. original ending only had like a 10% positive rating. <laughs> and then they, they thought it was a fluke, so they redid it in a different city. And it was also 12% or something like that. They recut it, and then that was over 55%. Oh. So here's here's what Oz said. He said, we had to do it and do it in such a manner that an audience would enjoy the movie. It was very dissatisfying for both of us that we couldn't do what we wanted. Creatively, no, it didn't satisfy us and being true to the story. But we also understood the realities. And they couldn't release a movie if we had that ending. That's like a little bit of like big man Hollywood coming in and being like, this is how you have to make a story because you got to you got to make this thing sell. Yeah. And what's kind of interesting about um, the original ending, as we can see it today, is uh, for a long time, everyone thought that it was lost, that that footage was lost. Mm. But in a fire. Uh, yeah. yeah. And some and they only had black and white mm. footage. Yeah. The black and white work print. Whoa. They would print it on cheap black and white film to screen it so that mm-hmm. they didn't have to spend a lot of money and it could get destroyed and it wasn't the full actual thing. So that's what uh, all they thought they had left. But then someone independently of Warner Brothers in the production, I think this was in early 2000s, maybe. 2011. 2011, yes. They, so they, when went, they, re- they released the DVD of the movie yeah, and they pieced together a black and white version of the original ending. Yeah, so they found they, had. they found the, all the original footage scattered throughout archives between LA and one in Kansas and like one somewhere else. And I found it all and they put it together. And this was all independent, like I said, of the production and of Warner Brothers. And then they, mm-hmm. they showed it to Frank Oz or somebody. And Frank Oz was like, this is great. We can release this. Well, I'm going to put by name. I'm going to call this the director's cut, even though I didn't necessarily put it together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just give it a little more weight. Yeah, he's like, this is this is awesome. This is exactly this is what I wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah, producer and rights owner David Geffen 
was not aware that they were trying to piece together the black and white version until they released it. And then Geffen said he went to the studio and says he has the original color. <laughs> and he gave it to them. They just asked the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. When they screened it in 2012, was uh, that New York? the New York Film Festival, New York Festival yeah. Oz said he was worried that the audience would react negatively to the death of Seymour and Audrey. But he said the audience accepted Audrey and Seymour's death with applause and roared in glee during the plant rampage. Uh, so, so this is a, a quote from uh, specifically bet. about that. In a stage play, you kill the leads and they come out for a bow. In a movie, they don't come out for a bow, they're dead. They're gone, and so the audience mm-hmm. lost the people they loved as opposed to the theater audience where they knew the two people who played Audrey and Seymour were still alive. They loved those people and they hated us for it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's very, yeah, that's a, that's a great insight. That is a fascinating insight and something I'm going to think about quite a bit when it comes to movies versus plays. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't really think about it ever that way. Right. There's far more and plays there that was... end in massive Speak... tragedy. Everyone mm-hmm. dies. Speaking of other media based on this, there was also a short-lived 1991 animated children's TV show right. called Little Shop. I remember this. Produced by uh, Fox Kids. Yeah, and then there was, um, and... there was a graphic novel, right? Or a series of comic books based on it, oh. on the movie also? That I think it had the more of the original story stuff that they cut out from the movie. The art was like designed after the movie, so like all the characters had the likeness of the actors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I skipped just... through the 1960 movie pretty quickly, but there were some parts like Mushnik knows about the plant pretty early on. Mm-hmm. What's going on there? <laughs> the main difference is dumber and. Yeah. The main Obviously difference is not a Netflix. musical, and then there's some mother character. Seymour's mother. Yeah, is the main difference is a mother character. Uh, the fact that Audrey and Seymour are pretty much dating the whole movie, and the mother doesn't like Audrey. There's a whole like subplot involving that. The mother is like a hypochondriac who wants Seymour to buy her an iron lung. <laughs> so that's why you need the money. Now the that's com- really yeah yeah iron lungs classic comedy. Poison cranberries and iron lungs. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's some references to that old movie in this one. I think, in terms of yeah, Mushnik's character is more involved in the whole thing. And then the end of the movie, there's like a detective character who's trying to investigate the, the deaths of the people. In that movie, everything is very, very much more accidental of the killings that Seymour mm-hmm. does. There's like a hobo that gets run over by a train that Seymour takes, and the dentist, and everything is much, much more accidental. And then Seymour ends up getting eaten by the plant and everybody's faces come out of the little plant. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. I I fast forwarded the end and you see his face and I forget what he says. He says something and then it's just like the end. The end. He expresses his guilt or his remorse for doing what he did. Mm. In the Broadway play, they did the same thing where the faces show up in the plant. Yeah. Or off Broadway, whatever the the actual is. I think that goes to like the moral... Seymour did something wrong, so he's getting his punishment now, and now he sees that what he did was wrong yeah, in that yeah. 1960 mm-hmm. version. Whereas, I guess, in the 80s, people wanted a happier. Yeah. They couldn't take those harsh morals. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone else have any any notes for uh, thematics before we hop into legacy? I mean, this is a, a touchy subject, I suppose, especially given that it's been, what, 30, 25 years since this movie came out? Uh, no, 35, 35, 35 years. years. That's a long time. No. Yeah. Like, is it a black exploitation movie? Ooh. Mm. Like, like, I mean, the, the I think it has aspects. Black. There are aspects for sure. Of, 
I, I, I wouldn't call the whole movie a black exploitation. But is it doing that? We, I don't think. And what, well, first you're going to need to define what that means. Yeah, yes. if you want to look at the definition of a black exploitation movie, it's a movie that's aimed at an urban African American audience. Oh, so it's usually not that. cheaply made and use stereotypical film characters showing bad or questionable motives, including roles as criminals. That's the definition on Wikipedia. All right, so I don't maybe know, not. This would not be considered that type of movie. But, I mean, sure, it has. But I'm saying like, it's like. It's, from, I mean, we saying, already talked but, about um, how they it wasn't cheaply made. So that refutes no. that. But, but it, I'm more, it has I'm a more campy like, look. And the characters are, I mean, questionable. So, I, no, I, I think I, I know what Andrew's getting Maybe not exploitation is not the right term. But is appropriate, it. It's, a, it's, a, a, it's appropriate. Cultural appropriation in the wrong way. Sure. I don't think we mentioned this yet, but for those that don't know, the um, Audrey 2 is voiced by the singer from The Four Tops. Levi Stubbs. Yes. Um, and I, we did mention this, but the Greek chorus, obviously, are three black women, and they're, they're named after female R&B groups from the 60s. And I think, no, I think that there's something valid to be said about that. I think there's definitely, for the filmmakers, it could only be surface level where they're they're just pulling that just for to get a sense of the time period in which the film takes place. Which is what I think. It's more of like accidental yeah. than anything else. But, but it's you know, that's certainly, not an excuse. It's certainly there. Whatever their intention was, they're still appropriating. I think that's a, a interesting thing to talk about. You know, the voice has a certain timbre. It's like, no, it's totally characterized as a black character from the 60s. And, you know, the way the dialogue is written, at least for me, I think we just want to, like, recognize the level of appropriation. For example, like we were talking about before, if it's, this movie was remade again today, if they characterize the plant and had the Greek chorus to be the same, I think they would have to add more context so it's not white filmmakers just lifting pieces from the 60s black culture to use mm -hmm. as a as a prop that's fair it's sort I of think like other there are other stereotypes that were um used throughout i mean definitely in the skid row it's like oh, oh yeah sure just all Absolutely. the versions of immigrants in new york city at the time yeah and you know mushnik is is definitely a, a stereotype i think and designed to be one mm -hmm. you know and this stuff like we talked about this a little bit with north by northwest as much as some of this stuff sucks is like you still have to sort of take it in context that still doesn't make it correct either or give it a pass necessarily but it's i don't know we're like we're not going to change it it still is what it is and it's part of what the movie is i think your point about if it were being remade we could propose something that maybe um celebrates instead of appropriates and doesn't mm. change the story but brings it to a modern awareness or something yeah that's that kind of stuff is always really tricky to handle like in terms of respecting the existence of this movie and and putting it into context of addressing these issues the cultural issues um, mm -hmm. i don't know there's no good answer for that yeah i don't know but it's there but it's there and, and it's i think that's worth it's worth noting uh so <laughs> speaking of legacy <laughs> um this movie has its very specific place in the canon of movie musicals because I think it's a little different. It's got its own pace and its own voice and, you know, tackles some horror tropes and B-movie tropes, dark comedy stuff, while still being a very well-executed musical. Uh, but it's also a great example of cinema camp, for sure. 
Andrew brought up John Waters earlier, and there's only a few people that can really nail camp very well and make it actually work as a tool to tell a good story. And this is one of those examples where they can use the camp in a way to talk about, you know, those, those themes that they want to talk about, but also at the same time is a very enjoyable, entertaining, uh, fun, but dark movie. I mean, the camp allows you to get around all exactly. the stigmas of touching on maybe this is a racially charged statement, or maybe this is like rich versus poor. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much the story of Hairspray. Right. The movie Hairspray. Like, if you looked or... at that in front, from a standpoint of if this was a drama, like it would be we, like very uncomfortable. Yeah. But because there's comedy applied to it, it, it becomes a whole nother method yeah. of telling the story. Absolutely. So, yeah, your point about musicals... Um not being a fan of musicals but like this that's his point about musical people being weird they are weird and they have strong opinions especially about musicals of course and there's usually some divisive ones you know cats is one that comes to mind people mostly don't like cats but it's it ran does anybody like cats well it ran on broadway longer than yeah but why i I never understood that obviously (laughs) so insane it it was something, but very divisive, right? Uh, Phantom is not quite that divisive, but some people will say it's too um, over-popularized. Uh, Rent, we had mentioned before, is another one. There's sides of that fence. Same thing with um, Les Mis, things like that. But one thing, knowing musical people, is that I don't know anyone who is into musicals that does not like this musical. So it's very unifying in that sense. There's something I don't, I can't pinpoint what it is, but it, there's something about it that's um, just dark enough or just happy enough, just campy enough, just well-written enough, just unique enough that seems to to find a place for... It straddles every line. For a lot mm-hmm. of people, yeah. So that would be my perspective on the legacy. Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with Ben. It's just that it's a great movie for everybody, like... I can't think of a single person that I know that doesn't like this movie. And if they haven't seen it, they would probably like it if they saw it. it has a lot of appeal. What's well, not to like? Sure. But you have to have a lot of problems with a lot of things to like not like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's accurate. So in terms of the legacy, obviously it was very successful. They're remaking one now. Well, as, a, as a film? Yeah. As a it's film. on the Wikipedia page. Yes. I told you it's what? a great Wikipedia page. All right, hold on. Let's talk about this. So, yeah, it's fantastic. you want to talk about that, but just Wait. to wrap up my thoughts, yeah, I think that the tunes are catchy. Generally, I don't like most musicals. I like some musicals. I don't like a lot of musicals, though. But I, I didn't mind this one. The songs moved things along. It seemed like a little bit more than just I don't cats. know, like Phantom. The songs just yeah, <laughs> cats, which is nothing. <laughs> I, I don't like those, but uh, yeah, the songs are catchy. They're upbeat. Suddenly, Seymour was kind of a slow song that was just there for a little while, but that was fine. Um, <laughs> and they were in some sort of know. urban wasteland. It's so yeah, weird. they were in an urban like, wasteland. Where are they? Generic Lower yeah. East Side. Looked like a bomb, like a bomb went, went off. <laughs> I mean, the buildings were were absolutely <laughs> destroyed. And there was yeah. collapse in the Lower East Side. Remember they were building? in a Greek <laughs> ruin during that scene. It was like random remember, pillars. Remember? And... <laughs> yeah, there were pillars. You remember the uh, the building that collapsed on top of Pomfret in the Lower East Side? Years. The one that exploded <laughs> nets to it. Yeah. Yeah. Too much grease. I mean, it happens. You know? Too much grease. No, uh, faulty. It happens. If faulty you have plumbing. A large plant. Yeah. 
<laughs> the plants did destroy the building too. But yes, <laughs> and they are making a new film with Taron Egerton to play Seymour, oh. Scarlett Johansson to play Audrey, and Billy Porter voicing Audrey too. Um, and Chris, Chris Evans, Evans is in talks to play Doctor. Yes. Oh, he, he'll be good. He'll be good. He'll be like uh, his character from um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Such but who shit. will play the the masochists? I guess they haven't cast him yet. There, it's very early in production. Who would you in cast? Pre-production. Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, Bill that a, that, that's nah. a good question. Who would you cast? Nah. To play the masochist, except for Bill Murray. Pete That'd be Davidson. pretty funny. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that I could see. That would be that would be pretty funny. Yeah. Going like full Pete Davidson with the accent and mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, we will see how that film is done. I know they restaged it, right, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal yeah. and the original Audrey. And Ellen Green, fantastic. yeah. What? This was uh, three oh. years ago, four years ago, something like that? 2015, 2015 yeah. Five years ago. Yeah. On Broadway? Yeah, I think so. Amazing. All right, so I guess ultimately, how would we rate this movie and and the beer too? What do you guys? The final Ooh. thoughts on the beer? Do we start with the beer or the movie? Oh, the, the brew well, well, and well, then the V's. Start with the brew, then the V's. Then the V's. Yeah. Brew. I think I would give a three, maybe three point five out of four. It was really good. It was less hoppy than I expected it to be for a double IPA, and it was. Just overall pretty enjoyable. The, the flavors were complex enough to be very interesting. And uh, yeah, I just, I really liked it. The movie was, was really good. I really liked the movie. It was so fucking good. Uh, definitely <laughs> like a 3.8 out of 4, I think. Well, so we're doing decimals Are we making this out of 40? Wait, 3 out of 4 is, a, is like, a, like a B minus. Yeah. No, it's a seventy-five percent. It's actually a C. It's a C. Yeah. It's a C. No, it's an uh, no, it's an A, B, C, or D. Well, I'm going to abide by no decimals and just give both a four out of four because you go with uh, fractions. That's true. this. This beer was delicious. Something I would get again. Something I could have two of. Um, good flavor, but not too much. And this movie, I mean. Rating a movie, you're rating against every other movie, and this against any other musical comedy. Other ones are going to tie with it. You're you're not beating this one, so that's my vote. I would rate the beer a three out of four because it's a good beer. It's solid, but it's nothing like special, in my opinion. You can get a good IPA like this from a lot of breweries, so that's why I'm giving it a three out of four. And the movie, I will give a 3.5 out of 4 because it is a very good movie. And yeah, it is. It's definitely unique, really funny movie. It's not like the perfect movie, so that's why I can't give it like a 4 out of 4. But uh, very good. Very good. That's my opinion. (laughs) All right. I give this beer uh, four snorts out of four New Jerseys. And then... uh, the movie, I uh, I mean, we already know how I feel. It's it's fantastic. It's just really good for four movies out of movies. What about the Wikipedia page? Oh, four wikis out of four Wikipedias. Four Larrys out of four pages? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I think this was a, a great movie. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to talk about, too. We want to hear uh, from you what your favorite 
movie Greek chorus is. And I guess that's, it's kind of a loose term, right? Very if, loose. Does someone want to give sort of a, a Wikipedia explanation as to what that kind of means? Hercules. Greek chorus is basically a, uh, a device in which the character or characters talk to the, the audience directly give some sort of like morals or some sort of explanation or anything like that could be considered like a Greek chorus because right. driving from like the Greek choruses where they would sing about the morals of the play and the, what was going on basically. Yeah, added, they're added, separate. Breaking the fourth separate wall. Breaking the, the wall. Story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, it's not, not like a, not it's not like a soliloquy. Is it always in song? Not necessarily, no. especially in film. Traditionally, it, it's song. But yeah, we want to hear what, what your favorites are and get creative. There's some that might be subtle examples, but could still work. And of course, you could always tweet that at, at the Broovies on Twitter. One day uh, we'll say it without laughing. <laughs> one day. Or email us at thebroovies at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about the modern war classic 1917, directed by Sam Mendes. That came out in 2019, last year, which I'm really excited to talk about. So, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we good? Talk about a great chorus. <laughs> <laughs>